them up in there. <laughs> and I'm glad you're here on this show because this is Radonomics and Zach's no longer here. So that means you have TNT. That is the Tony and Tony Show. I'm Anthony Smith, the Chief Economist here at, at FreightWaves. And I'm joined once again by Tony Mulby, top analyst here at FreightWaves. If you've read anything, any research papers, white papers, anything like that within the supply chain, there's a chance that Tony Mulby had a hand in it. Fun fact, Tony Mulvey got most voted for Doctor Strange here at Freight Waves in a recent, uh, what was it, mailbag edition? Yeah, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not a Marvel person or a movie person in general, so I could not tell you I anything. What that means? pretty S-tier. I yeah. say he's like low S, high A-tier type hero. So you're in good hands today if you've seen him before. Welcome back. And also, I'm going to be looking down from time to time, and that's not me being rude. That's me making sure that I'm listening and hearing your voices because I'm going to be looking down, monitoring LinkedIn because if you are watching at 12 Eastern Standard Time on this Thursday afternoon, we're streaming live right now on LinkedIn. If you want to jump in on the conversation, you have a hot take, you want to cancel Zach for not being here, what's he doing anyway? I think he, I think he's in Knoxville. That's what I've heard. Okay. Rumor on the street, he's headed to Knoxville. There's that little football game tonight. So it's UTK for University of Tennessee at yep. Knoxville, mm-hmm. and they're playing who? Ball State, okay. Muncie, Indiana team. Okay, so I don't have any room to talk because I would make fun of them, but then my New Mexico State Aggies just lost not too long ago to University of Reno Nevada. I don't want to talk about it too much. We got to jump into the show because we have quite a bit to get into. So as I mentioned earlier, if you want to jump into the conversation, jump in on LinkedIn. We are streaming live now. So Tony, one of the big things that I got to jump into, of course, within newsonomics, and this is going to be some of the top stories that have hit freight waves not too long ago. And we're going to kick it off strong in this newsonomics. We're going to start it off with Craig's, Craig Fuller's article from yesterday, Shippers Revenge is Coming for Truckload Carriers. Um, real quick, one of the, the, the opening quote here is that the freight market is a pendulum, and when it swings, it may be, in, may be the buyers or the sellers of capacity that now have the power in rate negotiations. What are your takes initially from his article? I mean, he's dead on. I mean, it's when you think about how the freight market works, there's a lot of buyers and a lot of sellers, right? Yeah. Your, your buyers of capacity are shippers. And, and brokers play in the middle, right? They're kind of that middle man. They play on both sides, the buyer and the seller. Seller of capacity, obviously, truckload carriers, right? Where you're selling your truck to a shipper or a broker in exchange to get loaded in money. And it is in a, it's this pendulum and it's in the midst of this swinging back. We've been on the carrier side for the last two years and we're in the midst of this swinging back towards the shipper side. And we see it in some of our data when you start looking at where it's, what spot markets are doing, what's, what are tender rejections doing, what are, what are contract rates mm-hmm. doing? And you're really seeing kind of all these things shift back into shippers' favor. I mean, if you look, I talked about it this morning on On The Spot, if you look at contract rate data, we're lower now than where we were at the beginning of the year. And typically, that's not the case. You typically would see an increase throughout the year. Right. But we, from basically January 1st through the second week in June, we rose about 6.5%, right in that range. It was about 18 cents. Right. From, since that time till now, We've declined by 22 cents, which is a 7.4% decline. Guess what? You've erased every gain that you've these carriers have seen already in the last, what, month and a half? Yeah. And I think that's that's significant. I mean, when we're yeah. looking at this, I mean, 
it's something that's been in the works for a while and it's something that definitely we've been chatting about for some time that, okay, the power is one area is going to swing back the other area because this always happens within the supply chain. And this is something that Craig Fuller also talks to in the article saying that, quote here, um, that's a little bit cut off. Care executives convinced themselves that the freight market was different than this time and their ability to have pricing power would remain in place indefinitely. So we know that nothing is going to be permanent here in the supply chain. We know that it's a pendulum that swings back and forth. But regardless of that, we see carrier executives convinced that, no, 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 this time's going to be different. They're doing almost like, I want to say mental gymnastics, but really convincing themselves. And I don't know if it's, it's just for the morale building, and we'll get into some of that morale building and, and really kind of talking up some areas or aspects within the economy or a business or a company a little bit later on, because I think that's going to be a key subject here. Um, it's impressive of that that mind state because we all know the reality. Do you think this is something that they're doing to like kind of kid themselves? Do you think they seriously believe this? Or do you think this is something that like, you know, they're, they're just going to be talking out of both sides, trying to say, hey, one thing, but really prepping for another? I think it's probably that. I mean, I think everybody understands kind of how the market works. Uh, I mean, the difference is you'll hear it when they talk, right? They don't talk about this big softening like what we saw in 2019. It's more of a correction. Well, what are you correcting to? Are you correcting to 2019 that wasn't a good environment for truckload carriers? I mean, what? I guess that's the the question I would pose is it's a, if you're going to call it a correction, what's it correcting to? Because I mean, ultimately it has to, yeah. right? Yes, we've inflated things over the past few years, but on the flip side, I mean, all your costs have gone up just as much, if not more, as a, in terms of a percentage, right? And I think that's going to be the question. And you look at some of the underlying data, right? The, the new entrants into the market, mm. guess what? No different than any other boom cycle. You look at the orders that they placed back in early 2021. Go look at the peak back in 2018 of new order, truck orders. Darn near the same. So it's almost like the reaction, they say it was different. But what they're showing in some of these other aspects is it's much of the same. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I could think keeping on that theme of shifts happening, <laughs> late reactions, we have another article by Greg Miller because we have a bunch of really smart people lined up in these newsonomics right now. An article from Greg Miller that just got posted, I think it was just yesterday, saying only eight ships waiting off of Southern California but 41 off Savannah. So definitely showing that there's been a shift in effect here um, because, of course, at some point in time, we saw that there was just skyrocketing numbers off in Southern California. Now we're seeing a shift in, capaci- or shift in capacity and now where a lot of volumes are kind of shifting to now in Savannah and definitely a lot on the East Coast here, Tony. Is this another example of an overreaction or a shift too much into one direction? Probably. Uh, yeah. I mean... Granted, there were, I mean, you think about the labor union, like the the negotiations going out on the West Coast. You think about the congestion that was out there. I mean, there's 130 ships, vessels as of Tuesday morning off the coast of North America. There were that many off the coast of LA Long Beach at times, right? So, I mean, you've basically taken that one issue and spread it across all the ports. I mean, I'm looking at this, 41 off Savannah. 24 off of Houston, 19 off New York, New Jersey. Then you got up in Canada, you've got 14 off of Vancouver, 13 out of Oakland, right? So there's just this, it basically took the problem and spread it out, yeah. which is good. I mean, it's a good thing because it should help some of that fluidity that the issues that were 
happening at LA Long Beach that caused a lot of that queuing and, and whatnot. But there's other issues that go into this too, where these queues are building up. Is, is there warehousing availability to, one, clear the port so they can unload some of these vessels? Yeah. And I think that's going to be the key is we've got to work through these record inventory levels just to, to help free up some of the space. But I do think it's, it's one of those, it was a shift to avoid some of the issues in California, but there's other issues that are attributing this congestion everywhere else, right? It's not just one port versus another like it was. Now it's kind of everywhere, but it's because there's other issues within the U.S. going on. Oh, for sure. And I know um, one of the big things that is, has an advantage on the West Coast is, of course, the infrastructure being mm-hmm. able to be built out to handle the capacity, things like that. And when we're looking at uh, one of the things you mentioned, I think it was a great point, working through some of the inventories. And we're going to talk to some inventory updates a little bit later as it really kind of lies upstream uh, within manufacturing and, and the ISM PMI and stuff like that. But last article here by, I think, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met, yeah. really. Um, J.P. Hampstead also adds into the conversation yesterday with race to the bottom and the truckload contract rate sets in. Um, one of the things he mentioned was that pressure is being let out of the global freight markets as demand falls to lower volumes in a variety of modes are more easily handled by the capacity and infrastructure built up during the last two years of the COVID-19 pandemic. Tony, do you see this really kind of being, I guess, the writing on the wall here? Yeah. That, okay, we, the call that we've made, you know, what was it, six plus months ago, is really kind of coming to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part, I mean, yes. I mean, ultimately, it's, it, it just takes time, right? We saw, the, like you said, the writing was on the wall. It was just a matter of when's it actually happen, and I think what we saw. I mean, I mean, we did a survey, right? Kevin and Joe uh, on the research team they did a survey. And we're like, how far do spot rates need to be below contract rates before you move things in the spot market to take advantage? And then how long before you kind of see that happen? And it was like everything that shippers were saying in that survey, like the timing of that survey was the same time we were seeing this stuff happen. And it was like, when, when's it going to show up in data? And guess what? Now it, now it is. Like, but it's going to take some time for it to work through. And where do, we, where do we ultimately get to, right? In contract rates, spot rates. Like, where is that floor? I mean, I think that's going to be the question. It's not that we're not trending in that direction. It's where is it? But I think, uh, I mean, yeah, ultimately we are seeing all of this come to fruition. Uh, it was, it was more of just a matter of time as opposed to what direction we were headed in. That's a great point here. And I'm checking LinkedIn, as I mentioned earlier. And one of the things we have coming in from, uh, says Jorge Chinchillas. I think I pretty much got this name wrong. I'm sorry, Jorge, for butchering your last name. Um, he says prices are currently coming down in the truck industry. When do you guys think prices are going to start increasing? I think we have a ways to go because I think we are still settling at the bottom here. So this could be something that we probably what don't see until, what, 2023 potentially? Or? Yeah, I mean, when you start thinking about some of these contracts, right? When on the way up, taking advantage, shorter bid cycles, guess what? Similar concepts are going to happen on the back end. And then you're going to get, once we feel comfortable, you'll see more annual bids and things like that to 12-month bid cycle. But a lot of those don't come on until earlier in the year, right? So first quarter, second quarter of 2023 before you see, maybe see some of these, that floor. And then we, I mean, you're talking, uh, what, 9, 12, 
18 months before you really see that pressure. You'll see some movement in it, but a significant upward move again. Uh, and ultimately, we're not going to see anything like what we saw likely in 2020, where we just saw this rapid increase in rates, right? That was driven by a major catalyst with COVID and shutdowns and, and stimulus spending and things like that. You, you see what the Fed's doing, and I think we'll talk on it a little later, where they're really trying to curb demand to yeah. fight inflation. And I think that's one of those keys that as long as they're still in that hawkish mode to, to really combat inflation, and which is essentially killing demand, uh, that's going to... I mean, until you see a reversal of that, that's when you'll see that. And I mean, you know how the government works and things like that. It doesn't move very fast. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and you're you're spot on. We're going to get into that a little bit later. Right now, we're going to shift gears here into some econ highlights here. Um, Talking first around one of the big reports that came out this week, because this is a pretty much jobs week. We got... Mm -hmm job openings, equip rate. We have the pay, ADP payroll number that just came back out. We have, of course, every week we have initial jobs claims and we have the unemployment rate that gets released tomorrow. So jumping into the job openings uh, news, this is some good news here, Tony. Initially, we're seeing at the headline number that there was uh, over 11 million job openings in the U.S. And so this is a pretty substantial I- increase, 11.2 million. This is, I would say, above my expectations that were added and um, despite that, the underlying trends from this report still confirm my uncertainty within the jobs market because within that report, we saw that hiring definitely slowed down. Even though that more jobs are being posted, companies are not hiring as much. And so that's another concern there because we're seeing that just because there's a job open doesn't mean that there's going to be people working that job. Yeah. Um, also, within the report, we saw that there was a pretty substantial job openings Posting for transportation warehousing, definitely an area that um, we are seeing a lot of demand for potentially. Um, layoffs at a macro level haven't trended upwards, but we are seeing more and more of them pop up. The good thing is with some of these job openings number, despite the slowing down in the hiring rate, is that if someone is laid off within transportation or within the supply chain, really almost any segment within the economy, the good thing is right now is that you're likely to be able to find a new role to mm-hmm. kind of get fit into. And I think this is an opportunity for a lot of people for the time being, but I don't think the same opportunity is going to really show itself as being viable a little bit later on as we continue throughout the second half of this year and get into 2023 as well. Um, the other big thing is here, the quit rate. That also eased. It was uh, over, I think, right around 3% a little bit earlier on in the year. Now it's down to 27 which is still very much elevated, um, but at the lowest level since May 2021. And the quit rate essentially is something that's going to be used to gauge consumer confidence. Although consumer confidence is a separate gauge, consumer sentiment is a separate gauge. But this essentially shows how confident a consumer is feeling about their prospects, their individual economic situation, about going out there, getting another job. If a consumer is feeling confident about their standing, their standing within the U.S., their workforce, whatever it might be, they feel confident in leaving their job and go getting a new one. Once you start to see a lot more consumers easing on that, that's another telling sign, even though we might see indexes shift up and down, up and down. This is going to be a key one to watch. So essentially what we're seeing right now, Tony, a lot more people are hiring fewer people, even though they're posting more jobs. And this is something I think is really going to start to show some concerns as we continue to see some hesitation, not just at 
the consumer level, but at the company level as well. Yeah, I guess my question to you, I mean, when you look at this, right, you see that uptick in job openings and you, you talked about the quit rate falling. I mean, does it, now will it take, and I think that I know the answer, but I want to ask, I mean, it takes some time, right? These consumers have been so used to the job market being so white hot mm-hmm. and like, I can leave, I'm confident I'll go get something else and get hired almost immediately, right? right. I mean, like we, the demand for jobs was so high, right? But the supply was so limited. And it still kind of is when you compare what those payroll numbers versus the job openings, right? There's like what? One in, for every one person, there's like five jobs or something like that. There's something that crazy. Like, we have yeah. nearly double or something like that. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, t- some of this is going to be, does the consumer really react? Like, as their conditions change in their role, right? That's going to take some time to show up in this data, right? Is that... Oh, for sure. I think there's going to take some time for this to show up in the data. And when we look at the job openings, it's interesting to look at. It's also a lagging indicator. It's not going to predict what's going to happen. Um, One of the last things companies are going to want to do is layoffs. And that's going to be one of those areas that we're going to be watching closely. Of course, you don't want to see it happen, but it's likely going to start happening a little bit more frequently as we continue to move throughout the rest of this year. Um, The big thing is when we see fewer people leaving their jobs, this also diminishes their wage increase. Because if you want to raise, got a hint for you, you go out and you quit your job and you get a new one. That's the fastest way to get a pay raise. A lot of more folks staying at their jobs mean that they're not going to be getting those pay raises that we saw throughout the great resignation over the last couple of years here, 18 months or so. So that's going to be another big area to watch here. All those that have quit their jobs, left, has saw, I think, essentially over double-digit wage increases. Mm-hmm. Those who have stayed have seen wage increases below the rate of inflation. I think somewhere maybe below, definitely below 8%. So um, when you take in consideration of the CPI, not looking at the PCE index, because I'm a little bit unsure about how the they put together that number there. I got to dive into that one a little bit more. Um, but that's going to be a big thing here. And, and, and the other big thing is consumer conditions. I always talk about the consumer conditions. Um, job openings, great. You want to see uh, initial jobs claims continue to remain low. And good news, they did come in low again this week. So it's great to see that there's back-to-back weeks of downward movement. I love it. But the consumer conditions are not changing. We're still seeing the savings rate for consumers at lows that we haven't seen in over a decade. I think it's somewhere around 12 or 13 years or something yeah. like that. We're also seeing consumer credit utilization increase as well. I think a lot of the headline consumer confidence has come from the easing and the headline inflationary number, the easing in gas prices. And of course, we just heard about the tuition reimbursement plan uh, or uh, student loan forgiveness, I should say, which is a problem in and of itself, yep. essentially. Um, and I'm all for people having less debt. I don't want anyone to be over-encumbered by student loans. But what this does essentially is kind of saying, hey, if I'm just now getting out of high school, I'm going into college, I see this happening, I might feel a little bit more secure and taking on a lot more debt with the expectation that, hey, someone's going to take care of this, not going to be me. And at the same time, college is going to feel a little bit more emboldened to continue to charge higher and higher tuition rates because they're saying, hey, someone's going to take care of this. They're going to keep taking these prices and accepting these prices. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a few, I mean, I don't want to say issues with it, but I mean, there's one, the legality part of it. Like, is it actually going to happen? Yeah. But, and don't react to it, right? I think that's the, cons- my concern is the consumer is going to react to this. And if it 
doesn't actually happen. Now they've gone out there and acted like it has. Yeah. And it actually hasn't. Now they're still under sometimes mountains of debt. Yeah. And then, I mean, the other factor, right? I mean, like, what does this actually do in the long run? I mean, if you start thinking about for the average person, what is that average loan? What, I mean, I think some of the, would it have been better just lowering the interest rate on some of these student loans to, to match kind of what the government, that Fed funds rate, right? If you mm-hmm. move it down towards that, as opposed to, hey, we'll give you $10,000, basically, inter- I mean, it's essentially interest-free, but you're still going to pay 6 or 5 6% interest on the remaining balance, or, hey, we won't give you that, but we'll give you 2% or right. 1.5% on that balance. I mean, were there other options that maybe were, in the long run, a better plan mm. as opposed to, hey, we're just going to give you $10,000 and just go whoop, yeah. away? I think, I think there's definitely a lot more options that they could have really attacked here because I think this lot of it, I think, was a lot of potential political posturing for yeah. the midterms coming up here in 2022. Also... Um, one of the other big things is that this does nothing to to, to fix the cause, the root of the problem mm-hmm. here. Like I said last show, it's like there's a hole in a ship and it's just letting in a bunch of water. And instead of plugging up that hole and tending to it, we know where the water is coming from. We just get buckets and start kind of just throwing out some water. Yep. But the hole is getting bigger and bigger and no one's concerned about it. And so I think that's the issue here is that we're not really fixing anything. We're not preventing new loans from being taken. We're kind of encouraging more loan activity. And essentially, this can be inflationary building because you're essentially giving more money to people. You're increasing their spending power potentially or emboldening them to have a high propensity to spend because now they don't feel over-encumbered by some of these loans. And so I think that's another big issue here. Um, when you look at consumer spending power, this is something that's going to increase it, but not in the way that we want to see it. Um, and I think it's definitely going to be an interesting one. And I also mentioned this, uh, I think, on a previous episode it makes that inflation bill a little bit more, makes a lot more sense because of those IRS agents. Now, we're going to see a lot more taxing, uh, auditing uh, happening. This could be another potential way of funding things like this happening in the upcoming years because we're going to need more tax revenue, I'm sure, to fund these types of uh, initiatives. So this is going to be something that's definitely interesting. Um, and I think the, the title of the show is called paying tolerance. And I got to get to some of that. And, and that comes from uh, Jerome Powell, uh, Jackson Hole talk. Um, he said there will be, <clears throat> excuse me, some pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think he is starting to shift his, his talking points and his mind frame that he's giving out to the people um, that he's starting to shift a little bit uh, into a very much hawkish mode. And, and I think this is kind of stay, still in line from what we were talking about earlier on in the year the Fed has to put on a good face and say, hey, first, first thing was inflation is transitory. And <laughs> a lot of people knew that this wasn't transitory, yeah. but they had to say that. And so they said that and, you know, lo and behold, it isn't. And they, they walked that back. <clears throat> Next thing you know, they say, hey, uh, we're, we're probably on course for a soft landing, if anything. And now they're just saying, hey, th- at first they were saying there's no recession. The, the, even though we have back-to-back declines in GDP, there's no recession here. Now they're saying, hey, maybe a soft landing. Hey, maybe a soft landing isn't here. Maybe there will be pain. There will be pain. And so it's that 
saying one thing and then kind of giving a, a conceding a few points and giving one thing and then conceding a few points. Um, one of the big thing here that he really invoked here was Paul Volkner energy with his ties to his mentor that he had in the 1970s, 1980s era of the uh, head of chair, federal chair. He really dealt with a lot of inflationary pressures and he is paramount and really being the one to really charge in and jacking up interest rates and not really caring about a recession, just like saying, yeah. hey, we got to deal with this. And so I think a lot of folks are seeing, hey, maybe Jerome Powell is going to take the same mind frame here and really be hawkish on this interest rate thing. Yeah, I mean, this is where playing politics almost with it doesn't make sense, right? And yeah. I think some of that, some of his role, I mean, his role is not to play politics, but it does factor in, right? I mean, that some of that happens. And I think that's going to be what's interesting is how does not just, how's the, I mean, you have it in here, the market react, right? Yeah. Just, but how does the U.S. just normal consumer react to him doing this? I mean, you start, again, trying to take that hawkish thing, you're curbing demand. That's what, like, consumer is going to be affected by this heavily. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but definitely seems like he is taking some of that energy. Yeah. Now, does he go full? That's, that's going to be the that's thing that we have question. to see. Yeah. All right, Tony, we're in the last 30 seconds here. Hot take about absolutely anything in the world. What is it? That's too tough. There's there's so many hot Just takes. Just give me one, man. What, what's one controversial one? Marble football. Oh, gosh. Uh, Tennessee's going 10 and 2. <laughs> that is a hot take. It's I a think. hot take. Some folks in a control room might agree with you. I think it's messed up that the Hulk gets weak, weakened every single Marvel movie. Anyway, this has been Freightonomics. Drink more water. We'll see you next week.